Hello, welcome back to Why Did Peter Sink? This episode is called It's Not Supposed to Be Cool, It's Supposed to Be Beautiful. This is part of the series of Whole, Both Body and Soul, Why I'm Catholic, Part 27. So there's a movie called The Mission from 1986 with Robert De Niro where two very different approaches are taken to meet some natives um, and bring the message of Jesus to them. Uh, In the first, there's a priest he tries a sales approach, a hard sales approach. And in this heavy-handed kind of ham-fisted messaging, he gets beat up, tied to a cross, thrown into a river, and sent over a waterfall. Then a second man, played by Jeremy Irons, comes and plays his oboe. And that's all he does. He plays his musical instrument, a beautiful song, simple in its melody, softly plays in the jungle a song never heard by the people before. And the music intrigues the people, and even though they smash his oboe, they don't smash his face. They take him into their village, and it's the beauty of the song that breaks down a wall, and suddenly there is an inroad to friendship, and more importantly, into the life of Christ, because it was beauty, not a sales pitch, that led to interest, and ultimately, a relationship. And beauty is how you bring the message of anything to people, um, especially the life of Jesus. It is the beauty of the story of the person and the living God that he is, of who he is, what he is, what he's done for you, for us all. That's what needs to be shared, and it can't be shared really in a sales pitch. So that's even what I concern concern with my series here, is that it comes off like Robert De Niro's uh, character in The Mission. So the feeling that a sales approach gives to people is this. They feel like I am just a project. I'm just a project to you. I'm a notch in your belt. I'm a credit for your way uh, on your way to heaven. So that's the same feeling I get when I um, go into the Verizon store and he's pushing unwanted products when I just want my phone fixed. Um, I don't want the other products. I just want the, you know, what I came for. Um, evangelism that feels like a one night stand really usually will only last as long as a one-nighter. There's no beauty in it. There's no relationship. It's just a temporary feel-good, like eating pixie sticks, where it feels good while you're doing it, and then it's um, a huge regret with the gut bomb after. This is what hurts more than saves. It doesn't heal. Um, People feel like, did you really just pretend to be friendly just to make me convert? Um, It feels dirty, and it makes me want to run. Conversion can't be treated like the old Highlander TV show where the main character, Duncan McLeod, would slay his enemy and then he would like receive their power in some lightning type of a moment. Uh, there's no sales commission or power gained if you convert someone to understand that Jesus is God. We are to preach the gospel and heal the sick, and but much of that healing comes from befriending people, like real befriending, not um, sales. So... Becoming friends means having no ulterior motives, no commission, no bonus. Becoming friends does not mean hoping someone will be baptized and then you move on. Um, This has the relationship depth of like a star football player at a college frat party ranging over the drunk and willing freshman. Virtuous and real friendship requires the gift of self with no motives of a kickback. Not coincidentally, this is exactly how we should approach God and the mass as a friendship 
a meal of thanksgiving. God comes to meet us. We meet God. We have a meal. We share it. It's awesome when it's like that. It's not giving you credits for something. So any ulterior motive gets outed quickly um, if you're only becoming friends with the hopes of converting a person. And then it feels like one party got duped into that one-nighter flattery. And a few free drinks might get someone laid, but it doesn't get them love. There's just no substance to it, and there's nothing underneath it. Uh, Conversion by trickery or strategy of any kind is not what God asks us to do. Uh, If you think about it, did Jesus do any of that? I've read the gospel. I do it quite often, and I don't see him tricking anyone ever. I see relationships forming and lasting, or if not lasting, there's an authentic experience happens where someone's sin is outed and transformation begins because they come to Jesus um, with their what little they have and change their lives to match him. They don't conform. Jesus doesn't conform to their life. The follower conforms to Jesus's life. In fact, I always see that Jesus is non-competitive, non-gimmicky, but he challenges the people he meets at the same time. And that authentic challenge is what attracts people to him. He is like a song. He's attractive like a song playing uh, that you've never heard before and you don't quite understand it, but it's beautiful and you don't know why. He's not acting like a salesman asking about someone's mother just to establish rapport, which, by the way, if you're a salesman, is a great way to establish rapport. Uh, But nor is Jesus playing the game of, say, the Romans who are around him who go out and conquer people by the sword and then tell everyone with like propaganda that they brought peace to the world um, because they killed everyone that didn't agree. You know, Jesus just doesn't play the stupid games that we do, and he isn't a salesman, and he's also not a bully, and he's not a genie either. He's authentic, and that is what we are absolutely dying to find, and that stops us in our tracks when we see it. Something real and something beautiful that is just offered for its own sake. Something and someone who isn't selling, that's what we want, and we want more than just something free, like free beer, We want beauty that touches our soul. In America, uh, our idols known as life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness pretend to give us this. But in this pursuit, we turn almost everything into a sale from sports to healthcare to news. Um, Even religion becomes a sale with the prosperity gospel and therapeutic deism. Here's the thing, though. Loving Jesus doesn't need to be cool. It's not supposed to be cool. Um, and, t- and when you understand who he is, uh, it doesn't matter. Then he's way cooler than anything you've ever known or seen, which is why he's cool. He's cool because he's not trying to be cool. He's just a living witness of how beautiful life can be, even when sin makes it ugly. And this is why the woman at the well story, or Peter with his drop the nets moment, or saint stories like those of St. Augustine and St. Teresa of Avila and all the rest, they make us step back and look at our own lives. We wonder what happened when those people met Jesus as the living God, and until it happens to you, it will seem fishy, suspicious, and too good to be true because we are accustomed to being sold and told lies. And this is why attempts to make Christianity cool come off so badly to me. Most Christian music and evangelization feels forced. Um, that's one of the reasons I'm doing this series, hopefully not trying to force it. It's like, you know, this is just my experience, my belief. And uh, what I see in a lot of the music and evangelization is that it's like the Robert De Niro kind of 
forced feeding versus the Jeremy Irons playing the oboe in the woods. Um, re, you know, recall that people didn't want to kill Jesus for being cool, actually. You know, no, he rejected all that the world considered cool, like money and power and pleasure and wealth and all that um, and honor. The world's fads uh, bored Jesus, and it was for this very fact that they hated him. And he also didn't sin, and he's, he would call out people's sin, and he would just keep doing his thing. But he was like the song that was playing that you couldn't quite understand, but you also couldn't argue with it. It was the beauty, the goodness, and the truth that what he was. And he didn't want that what everyone else thought gave their lives meaning. The real threat of Jesus to, say, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Romans, and the Herodians was not that he was becoming popular, it's that he inverted their whole world and made a mockery of their earthly wants and desires. Yeah, he needed none of that. Power, money, pleasure, not interested. While everyone is trying so hard to be cool, Jesus is just praying and being friends with people. There's no concert needed, um, I, no, no real TED-style talks, no cultural hooks like hot monogamy, no parades, nothing but being himself. I mean, yes, he gives the Sermon on the Mount, but that's because everyone's coming to him. He's not um, putting up a huge stage in a concert um, and doing all this with fireworks and everything. He's just talking. And it's kind of, to me, the opposite of the TED Talks. But anyway, um, being a follower of Jesus is not meant to be cool. It's meant to make you conform your life to Christ because he's, be his, he's beautiful. Um, it helps you know that you're a sinner, you're willing to take up your cross and very likely be reviled by the culture. And after all that, still be joyful enough to give away money to the church and the poor. Um, see, it, it really doesn't make sense, does it? But it does make sense once you turn into the light and you can see all of it. The world is suddenly illuminated in a, in a way that you didn't see before. Um, it's not supposed to be cool. It's supposed to be beautiful. Once you change, you want to follow him because that truth is beautiful and you then you don't really care about how it looks to the world. Uh, I'm sure plenty of people think I'm crazy just for doing this series and that's fine because I think believing is beautiful. Um, however, um, the wrong kind of friendship, the salesperson kind, that's not going to bring the sheep back to the fold. It's the same result as like chasing a sheep with a torch versus calling to it gently. The, the kind of hellfire scare tactics don't really work and nor do sugary friendships and nor does flirty bait dating to pull people in. Uh, people are dying to find something authentic. And here's the kicker. Once they find Jesus to be authentic and follow him, they can no longer die. They have eternal life if you follow him to the end, to the end. Um, because death is no longer a concern or fear. Really, uh, to me, a religion that enters into competition has to sell itself to win. And the moment that begins, it's a product and no longer a way of life. It's like everything else. The moment that selling begins, it's no longer the way of Christianity. <clears throat> Evangelization is not about selling. It's about transforming. If selling is required, then it needs a story and how tempting it can be to craft a story around a product, just a wee bit here and there, and then pretend that the product matches the story instead of the product matching reality. Um, birds don't have to sell their songs. They just sing them, and we know they're beautiful. The, 
the extreme push of our corporations to sell things like mindfulness products today. Um, it has the same rank odor on it that the door to door, like Jehovah's witness or, um, evangelizers at on the beach at spring break kind of have, it's not, it doesn't feel right. Um, I've walked into many customer facing situations where the story told by our salespeople did not match the reality of what the product actually did. Now, when, when the reality of what the product does can't live up to the sales and marketing story, the jig is up. These are what you call quote, difficult conversations where you have to explain as nicely as possible that the salesperson was lying, or at least uh, the salesperson was committing certain sins of omission by not volunteering accurate information. However, a sales story that matches reality can be seen in the proof of the product. It can be seen in the continued use of the product, um, and it can be heard in testimonies of those using the product. It can be seen in things built using the product. So proof of use and effectiveness can be seen and heard across the world for something that really works. If you need proof that um, Jesus' belief in him really works, you can go to places like Salamanca in Spain and see the old and new cathedrals or Notre Dame or go to New York, see St. Patrick's Cathedral or St. Peter's Square in Rome or St. Paul's Cathedral and a million, a million small churches all across the world that are beautiful. These are built for nothing other than to give glory to God. There's no other utility of these things. They're just built to be beautiful. These are beautiful things created in homage to a Savior that heals. Um, likewise, when I go and I hear the songs um, Gentle Woman, Ave Maria, or Immaculate Mary every year in December on the Holy Day of Immaculate Conception, I have to sit in the back row because it brings tears to my eyes. It's just so beautiful. So I can hardly take it. Um, I, I recall this happening with other songs outside of the church where the beauty penetrates so deeply that I can hardly stand it as if, you know, my heart could be broken and healed in three minutes of a song. Um, it's happened to me with No Woman, No Cry from Bob Marley and the Wailers. And um, the same with Andrea Bocelli's Conte Partiro, which I'm not an opera listener to, uh, person, but that song is powerful. Um, and surely I think everyone has songs that can cut, cut you deeply and bring tears of sadness or joy or both. And to hear the songs, the, the Marian songs in church, um, especially uh, ones about Mary or Jesus, they're, they're still different because the mother of God and God incarnate are the ultimate healers. Uh, every December or whenever those songs are sung, I can know the beauty and goodness of the Blessed Virgin Mary through song, through the glorious gift of music that God gave to some people in this world. We all have gifts, but musicians have one of the most beautiful ones, and they can share it with us to lift us up, just like birds of the morning who call to one another from the trees as if God is saying to the world through these amazing creatures, good morning. And birds aren't selling their song. Like I said, they are offering it up. They are giving their song to the world. They're using the gift that God gave them to reveal the beauty of all creation. In other words, uh, creation the world, the beauty of the world is a product I can believe in because I can see it and it's beautiful. And what when you see sin, you know that's not beautiful. Sin is disgusting and ugly. That's the problem of pain. Um, to tie this back to kind of a sales thing, an account manager with steady customers who believe in a product are far more uh, uh, steady stream of income uh, than customers that were tricked into 
purchase orders and contracts by a charismatic salesman. God isn't a salesman. The tricks we play on people aren't needed with real beauty. So you don't need the cute smile or the witty rejoinder or the steak dinner. You don't need a sleek demo. Uh, You don't need to give a bunch of free stuff like shirts and pens and mouse pads and all the other crap salespeople unload on customers as if we were at like a parade. Um, None of that sustains trust if the underlying product doesn't work or isn't authentic. There's a huge backlash happening right now in about the liturgy of the mass uh, post-Vatican II arguments in the church that that they tried to modernize the Catholic mass to keep up with the trendy ways of the world, the culture around us. And this was a mistake that may slowly be corrected. Everyone wants a reverent mass, a beautiful mass, one that's just offered up like a song, not one that's trying to sell something. Um, it's it's become increasingly clear that the various irreverent productions, um, and I call them productions because they, they, they weren't like a mass that was just offering it up. Um, they were attempts by com- Catholics to compete with Protestant services. But once your faith tries to be cool, it's dying. Um, because who would want it when it's entertainment? Uh, because like every show or product that needs a lot of marketing to keep it going, it's not really needed and it bores people after a while. Beauty doesn't need to compete. Uh, Faith cannot win in the space of entertainment because it's more than entertainment, because it's not made for that space. The space is the complete opposite of what faith in the mass is about. We have football stadiums and rock shows and music festivals and strip joints and TED Talks and drive-in movie theaters, and, and all of those are more, quote, fun than, say, the Catholic mass. But they are all selling something completely different. None of those things last Um, As sports leagues come and go, bands break up, music festivals peter out after a while, strip joints get condemned, um, and TED Talks is probably coming to its last days because it's had a great run here and something else will take its place. So um, drive-in movie theaters are barely hanging on. They were all the rage. There's very few left. There are a thousand and one options for entertainment, which all come and go over the decades. I mean, even Elvis, the King, and the Beatles, they will be a blip in a history book soon, and they already kind of are. They're already completely in the rearview mirror of everyone, and yeah, young people aren't listening to those things now, maybe as a, um, as a fun throwback. But So given our short attention span that moves on from one form of entertainment to another, this makes the fact that a church could be the dominant and lasting centerpiece of life for, say, 2,000 years, rather mind-blowing. But um, there wasn't the option of NFL football games and country jam festivals and Burning Man. Um, But those things that draw millions of worshipers today will be long gone before the church is gone. And why is that? How did it hang on for so long? Um, It's not like, you know, the Catholic Church was the only only religion in existence. Um, Why didn't one of the other old religions of the ages, say, before Christianity rise up and replace it. Um, After all, if it was so obviously a bunch of false superstitions of fearful farmers and fishermen and um, rubes, then why couldn't something other than Christianity have swept it away? And that, that is a question that doesn't get asked out loud enough. The answer is they haven't, nothing's replaced Christ because they are not as beautiful. Um, Christ's music makes life sing. 
We hear his song. He is the way. He's the healer. He's the maker of all music. He's the one who makes the invisible be visible. The reason we love art and music and stories is the same reason we love Jesus. And the reason is because we see the beauty of all creation in him. In um, John chapter 14, Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, then you'll also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So he's God. We've seen him. That's what's so amazing about it. It's, it's beyond our explanation. Um, once you hear the music of the original reasons to believe that the apostles did and everyone afterwards who, who understood who he was, it, it begins to make sense. And all of the clanging gongs and noise are trying to convert you by beating you over the head. And many Catholics have tried the approach of Robert De Niro in The Mission. Uh, for those approaches that used guilt and ugliness, the church was thrown in the river and sent downstream over the waterfall like Robert De Niro. And now is the time where we can hear, we should be able to hear the oboe playing finally. We need to be more like Jeremy Irons. And now that we've heard enough of the noise, um, hearing that song again, we may be curious enough to take a second look. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, that's the end of this episode. I think I'll have a few more in this series, and I'll see you on the next one.